You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. A group of people walked into a meeting room because they heard that Pastor Timothy wanted the church to gather. They heard that there's a special message for their church. So people walked in the room, families walked in the room, they were seated, whispering excitedly, wondering what this message was. And after people had gathered and they spent some time worshiping Jesus, Pastor Timothy stood up. He said, I've got a message for you. It's a letter, and it comes from Paul, the Apostle Paul. And I gathered you here today because I want to read this letter to you. And the people, knowing Paul, knowing how God had mightily used his life and spoke through him, leaned forward in their seats to hear what God wanted to say to them in that letter. That letter, read to the church in Ephesus over 2,000 years ago, is what we call the book of Ephesians. And we are beginning a study through this book, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. As Daniel said, it'll take us a year, maybe a year and a half, something like that. We'll take some breaks in there. But but we're going to begin studying this first century letter and considering what God has to say to us. So turn there with me, Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. You found your place. I want to ask you this morning if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. I feel a little emotional, so just kind of bear with me this morning as seeing the kids up there, my kids up there singing, and and, uh, kind of the full circle moment of Daniel up here, and Travis, my former worship pastor, and and, uh, just so excited about all that God is doing and how He works and knits knits lives together and relationships. It's just really amazing to see how God does that. And and uh, just been an awesome, awesome morning. Look there with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are so grateful, Lord, that we can come into your presence, undeserving as we are, because of the merits of Christ, the finished work of Jesus that makes a way for us to have a relationship with you, to know you personally, 
to experience you, and now to come to you in prayer and ask that you would draw near in this moment. I pray that by your Spirit you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we would understand the Scriptures, and Lord, give us inclination to respond to what you show us, that we might be changed. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. John Mackey, a former president of Princeton Theological Seminary, who was converted at the age of 14 by reading the book of Ephesians, said this about this letter. This letter, he wrote, is pure music. Ruth Paxson, a missionary to China, called Ephesians the Grand Canyon of Scripture, speaking of its breathtaking and inexhaustible beauty. Many describe this letter as the queen of the New Testament. If Romans is the king, then Ephesians would be the queen. It is a wonderful, wonderful book in the Bible. Six chapters long. And every phrase is filled with power and meaning and import for our lives. And what I want to do this morning is I want to whet your appetite for what's coming. I want to give you four reasons that you and I should should lean in to listen. Four reasons that this letter that we call Ephesians should have us on the edge of our seats. Four reasons we should anticipate what God is going to do in our lives as we study this book. You ready? Two of you are ready. That's good. Thank you. (laughs) Reason number one, the author. The author. Knowing who the author is, she causes us to, 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 to come to the edge of our seats. Look what it says there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. I want you to see four quick things about Paul that helps us to understand the, the, the meaning behind this letter that he wrote. First of all, Paul was changed by Jesus. If you've read through the Bible before or been in church for a a, a time, you've learned that Paul was not always his name. Before he was Paul, his name was Saul. And Saul was born and raised in a Hebrew family, trained as a Pharisee. He was passionate about his Jewish roots and his Jewish faith. And when this new movement sprung up in first century Jerusalem and in the surrounding areas called the Way, or what we call Christianity, Paul was furious. He did not believe that this Jesus that they followed in worship was the Messiah. And so Paul flew into a rage and was on the forefront of Jewish efforts to stamp out this new movement of Jesus' followers. He persecuted Christians. In fact, one day he had a letter from the Jewish elders to go to Damascus in Syria to arrest more Christians, those who were following Jesus. He was using terror and 
and, and fear to try to silence the, the sharing of Christianity. And on his way to Damascus, he was encountered by a bright light. And he heard Jesus speak to him. And Jesus said to this persecutor of the church, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul knew in that moment that Jesus was who he said he was. And that Jesus was the Messiah. And that Jesus had appeared to him on that road. And he cries out, what would you have me do, Lord? He calls Jesus Lord. And that was his moment of conversion. Saul was gloriously saved. A persecutor of the church became a follower of Christ. And not only that, look what it says. It says he was an apostle of Christ Jesus. Not only was he changed by Jesus, he was called by Jesus. That word apostle means one who is sent. It was used in the first century of ships that were sent carrying cargo or, or ships that were sent carrying soldiers to war. And Paul says, I have been sent. Sent by who? Well, look what it says. An apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent with the, the authority of Christ Jesus. We'll talk about that some more next week. But Jesus enlists him to go and share this gospel that he was trying to silence. And instead of trying to stamp out Christianity, now he is traveling all over the known world telling people about Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his, his salvation, his grace, his mercy. And instead of, of, of fighting against the church, he is helping to spread the gospel message an apostle of Christ Jesus, it says, by the will of God. He was called by Jesus to be a missionary, to be one who is sent out to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Not only was he changed by Jesus and called by Jesus, he was a conduit for Jesus. A conduit for Jesus. If we just read this letter, we would say the author is Paul. But if we understand the whole of Scripture, we know that something more is going on here. In fact, over in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16, we see a verse that helps us to understand the doctrine of inspiration. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for reproof, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that verse means this. That God takes human instruments and, and he breathed through them so they were writing down some words. And because he was so involved in the process, breathing through them, they were writing down what he wanted them to write down. So these authors who were being breathed through by the Lord were writing down Scripture, writing down what we call the Bible, writing the very words of God. That's the doctrine of inspiration. And we believe in verbal plenary inspiration. Every word is inspired by God. Every word is important. It all comes from God through human instrumentality. And because we believe every word comes from God, we believe the Bible's inerrant because God doesn't mess up. 
God doesn't make mistakes. It's, it's the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. All scriptures breathed out by God. You say, well, Pastor Wade, how do we know that Ephesians is scripture? Over at the end of 2 Peter chapter 3, near the very end of the book, Peter calls the letters of the Apostle Paul that were circulating throughout the churches, he calls them Scripture. He knew they had the stamp of apostolic authority. He knew they were written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He knew that these letters that Paul was writing and sending were the very Word of God So Paul here is a a conduit for Jesus. He's a a human instrument that God uses to write down what we call the Bible, the book of Ephesians. And he was committed committed to Jesus. He wrote this letter from jail. That's how committed he was. He was in jail because he was preaching Jesus and would not stop. All he had to do to to stop being jailed or, or to, to, to leave prison was to stop preaching Jesus. He wouldn't stop doing that. And, and, and people wanted to kill him for that. And through a series of circumstances, he ends up in a, a, a prison in Rome on house arrest at the end of Acts chapter 28. And, and in this house arrest, he writes uh, different letters. He writes uh, Philippians. He writes Colossians. He writes uh, Ephesians. He writes Philemon. They're called the prison epistles. And he's writing in jail because of his commitment to Christ. His commitment to the gospel. You say, wait, how do you know he's writing in jail? Look in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And then in chapter 6, verse 20, look what he says. He says, I am an ambassador in chains. So we see from that internal evidence that Paul was writing this letter from prison. I would say that it speaks of his commitment to Jesus. So here is Paul, who used to be Saul, a persecutor of the church, and now he is preaching the gospel. God's using him to write down Scripture, and he is so committed to Jesus, he's even willing to go to jail where he writes this letter. God changed Paul's life. Now listen to me. You hear all that about Saul becoming Paul? Listen to me. You think he can't change your life? You think he can't transform you? You think he can't transform your loved ones? Look what he did in Paul's life. Radically changed his trajectory. Because of that, we see that the author is Paul. Secondly, very quickly, we see something about the recipients. Look what it says there in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus. The saints who are in Ephesus. We're going to come back and deal with this part of the verse next week. But I just want you to notice he's writing to Christians who are in Ephesus. Acts 20 reveals that... Paul had a special relationship with the Christians in Ephesus. He visited Ephesus briefly on his second missionary journey, but on his third missionary journey, he stayed over two years. And Ephesus was a very strategic city, a large and important city on the west coast of Asia Minor. In fact, uh, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey today. And Ephesus was prominent for a number of reasons. Let me give you some of those reasons very quickly. First of all, economics. 
This city was situated at the mouth of a major river called Kester, and it was a busy uh, seaport in the province of Asia. It was the most important trade center west of Tarsus, where uh, Paul was from. Also, it was important because of its size. Pergamum was the capital of the province of Asia, but Ephesus was much larger. Uh, Some historians believe Ephesus had about 300,000 residents. Some even believe there were as many as 600,000 people in this ancient city. And it was known not only for its economics and its size, but for its culture. uh, Ephesus contained a theater that seated 25,000 people. In fact, a major story takes place in a theater in Ephesus, in that theater, in Acts chapter 19. It had a main thoroughfare that went from the theater to the harbor. And on both sides of this major thoroughfare, there were these large rows of columns 50 feet deep. And on either side of this, this road, there were baths and gymnasiums and other majestic buildings. It was a, it was a sight to behold. It was a, a city of culture. And finally, most importantly, it was a city known for its religion. The temple of Artemis was there in that city. Her, the, the goddess's Roman name is Diana, so Artemis or Diana. And this temple built for the worship of Artemis was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Artemis was the moon goddess, the goddess of hunting and the patroness of young girls. And this temple at Ephesus housed an image of Artemis that people believe fell straight from the heavens. You can read about that in Acts chapter 19, verse 35. The temple of Artemis was supported by, listen, 127 columns, each of them 197 feet high. This was an impressive building, and the Ephesians took great pride in this temple, great pride in this structure. And it was in this city, a prominent city of economics and culture and religion and size, that Paul spent almost three years of his ministry. He planted his life there in the city of Ephesus. Now the question becomes, how did things go? Did Paul make a difference during his time in Ephesus? Well, if you look there in your notes, Paul engaged Ephesus with the gospel resulting in many coming to faith in Christ. I want to show you just a a, a few verses about this. Hold your place, but turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I want to show you what happens during Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And we'll come back to these stories as we journey through Ephesians. But look what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. Paul had gone to the synagogue in Ephesus to, to preach the gospel, but some responded, but some Uh, withstood his message and didn't want him preaching that message. So he left the synagogue and he went to a place called the Hall of Tyrannus. There's some debate about who Tyrannus was. We don't know much about him. It was probably sort of a public meeting place. And so Paul goes to this public meeting place and sets up shop. And it seems that people are coming and going. And when people come in, Paul shares the gospel with them. He preaches Jesus and has a very fruitful ministry with his his base of operations being the hall of Tyrannus. In fact, look what it says there in verse 10. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now think about that. Think about that. He was being used so mightily of God, all the people in that surrounding area of Asia had heard about Jesus 
had heard the message of Christ. I mean, just think, if God used First Baptist so powerfully that we could gather on a Sunday and say, you know what, everybody in Fort Walton Beach and the Emerald Coast area has heard about Jesus because of what God's doing here. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what was happening there. I mean, God used him in amazing ways. And then look in verse 20 of Acts 19. It says, as he continues to minister there, there's this fascinating story of Jewish exorcists, and, and we'll talk about that later. But, but in verse 20 it says, The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then look in verse 25 of this same chapter. There's a disturbance that takes place where this riot happens in the uh, theater. But here's, here's the disturbance. People in Ephesus were getting saved. And instead of worshiping Artemis and going to the temple to worship this goddess, they were worshiping Jesus. So the silversmiths who were making uh, trinkets to sell around the temple were losing business. People weren't buying Artemis trinkets anymore. So this, this silversmith named Demetrius gets everybody together and says, Hey, fellas, we're losing business. So many folks are getting saved that, that we're losing money. And they fly into a frenzy about this. But look what happens in verse 25. They say, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying the gods made with hands are not gods. Was Paul having an impact? You better believe it. So many people were turning from this false worship of a false goddess that the businesses connected to this temple were being affected. What, listen, what if, what if we experience in our community so many people getting saved that ungodly businesses have to shut down because they're losing money? Wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't make us very popular. But it would make Jesus' name great. Amen? And that's what it's about. And, and so we see here that Paul engaged Ephesus with the gospel, resulting in many coming to faith in Christ. He had a fruitful ministry there in Ephesus. Now, let's just hasten on, because we're talking about reasons we ought to be on the edge of our seats entering this study. We, we've talked about the, the author being Paul and the recipients being the Christians in Ephesus. But, but third, let's talk about the structure the structure of the letter, because there's a definite outline here, and, it, and it's fascinating, and I, I kind of want to show you where we are headed. Here's the simplest way to say it. As Paul uh, writes, it falls into two major sections. Chapters 1 through 3 are what I will call doctrinal sections, where Paul outlines all that Christ has done and all the spiritual blessings that are ours because of what Christ has done. It's beautiful, rich doctrine and theology, and I can't wait to study it with you. Chapters 4 through 6 are, are practical. It's the way we ought to live in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us. I like the way J. Sidlow Baxter says it. He writes that chapters 1 through 3 are about the believer's wealth in Christ. Chapters 4 through 6 are about the believer's walk in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3, spiritual blessings, all that is ours because of Christ. 4 through 6, here's how you ought to walk. Here's how you ought to live in light of what Christ has done for you. And so you may say it like this 
This letter balances great doctrinal truths with practical exhortations. So we're going to we're going to soar as we study just some some powerful doctrines of our Christian faith, and then we're going to talk about how that should affect our marriage and our relationships, and affect the way we act on the job, and affect the way we speak and. The, the practical implications of what it means to be a Christian. We'll talk a lot about that. This letter balances great doctrinal truths with practical exhortations, which leads me to the fourth and final heading, which should cause us to lean forward in our seats as we study this letter. And it's the theme. We talked about the author, Saul, who became Paul. Talked about the recipients, Christians in Ephesus. Talk about some more about them next week. Talked about the structure. First half is doctrinal, second half is practical. But let's talk about the theme. How would you sum up the overall theme of this book? Look what it says back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul writes, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. This same exact wording, the same Christian greeting is used in Romans. It's used in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Same exact phrase. This is a favorite way for Paul to greet the Christians that he was writing to. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why these words? Why are they important? Well, the word grace means unmerited favor. I've preached about that the last few weeks. Undeserved blessing. It's all that God pours out upon us that we do not deserve. It's grace. Unmerited favor. And this letter begins with Paul saying, Grace to you. He wants them to, to, to center their hearts on grace, to reflect upon grace, to think about grace, to be amazed by grace. In fact, not only does this letter begin with grace, it ends with grace. Turn to the very last verse of this book, chapter 6. Oh, I love how he closes this, this letter. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The letter begins with grace. The letter ends with grace. But then in verse 2 he mentions peace. Grace to you and peace. What does the word peace mean? Well, carrying with it the, the Jewish background, which Paul probably had in mind. The word peace means wholeness or well-being. It speaks of a serenity that comes from a relationship with God. The best way I've ever heard it put is this. I have peace with God because my past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. If your past is redeemed and your present has meaning and purpose, and you know you're going to heaven when you die, you know what you have? Peace. He's reminding them that grace and peace, wholeness in Christ to you. And so... What's this greeting have to say to us? Well, think about it like this. Grace is the cause, and peace is the effect of God's work in our lives. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You see, the Christians in Ephesus experienced God's grace and peace at salvation. When they were converted, they experienced His unmerited favor. They experienced the peace of God and peace with God. But, but Paul wants them to understand and experience these blessings in greater measure. He wants them to go deeper thinking about grace and go deeper thinking about peace. And, and you can say this about Ephesians. The rest of the letter is about those two ideas. Ultimately, grace and peace. So, so keeping that verse in mind and, and thinking through the rest of the letter, I've, I've written down a theme that we're going to say probably every week as we study this book. What is the book of Ephesians about? Well, here it is. It's there in your notes. We experience God's grace in Christ. Notice the title of this entire sermon series is In Christ. We'll talk about how important that phrase, In Christ, is in the coming weeks. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, watch this, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. And for those four reasons, the author, the, the recipients, the theme, the structure, for those four reasons, I believe this study should have us, spiritually speaking, on the edge of our seats. Let, let me tell you what I'm asking God to do through this study. I'm asking God to move in such significant ways through His Word, applied to our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that years from now, we'd be able to look back and say, hey, remember what God did in my family during the Ephesians study? Remember what God did in my life when we were studying the grace of Christ in the book of Ephesians? Hey, remember what God did in my church back in that year, year and a half that we studied Ephesians? Remember what he did? Remember how he moved? Remember the significance of the Spirit of God moving in our midst? Remember. Years from now, what if we look back and said, remember how God set our hearts on fire when we studied Ephesians? We started telling our neighbors about Jesus. We started to live differently because of Jesus. And our light started to shine brighter. And the gospel message began to spread. And this community was turned upside down with the glorious gospel. Of Wouldn't that be awesome? If we could look back and say, remember what God did during this study. So as you anticipate God working in this church, as you anticipate God working in your family, in your kids' lives, in your marriage, as you anticipate God working in you individually, would you kind of scoot forward to the edge of your seat and say, Lord, what do you have for me through this study. Thank you for listening. 
We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.